We're starting a new series called Set Apart, where we're talking about holiness. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, my hope is that you've come into contact with this idea of holiness, uh, that, that you recognize that there is something that God wants us to grow in, and that is holiness. But the truth is, holy and holiness are words that, that get thrown around in the church, but sometimes don't, don't necessarily get quite defined. It's, it's like when we say hallelujah, and we're like, well, I know that I'm supposed to say that because it's on the screen, but it clearly is a different language, and I don't know what it means. And, and hallelujah it simply means praise the Lord. And sometimes we hear people th- say things like holy and holiness, and we say, okay, well, I know that I'm supposed to be holy. I, I don't know what that means. I know what Swiss cheese looks like. I'm pretty sure that's not what we're talking about here. What does holiness have to do with me? Um... You know, the Bible does use the word, and, and maybe you've heard it this way, you know, I know that holy means set apart, right? We, we've got it set apart as the name of the series, and I know that I read somewhere that in the, in the temple, in the Old Testament, that the stuff in the temple was set apart, you know, that there was a lampstand, I'm not really sure, it was set apart, uh, there was an altar, and that was set apart, there were priests, and they were set apart. Not really sure what exactly that means, except for I guess they were for God's service. Uh, and that's true. It's, it's a bit like your mom's china that you only brought out during uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and you never were allowed to touch in that room that you weren't supposed to sit in. Right? That's, that's the kind of set apart to the next level that, that holiness can be referring to. But, but when we talk about God himself, it doesn't quite make sense. God being set apart for himself. What does it mean? when we talk about God's holiness. And I, I, I want you to listen. I know that this may not be the most gripping thing for the moment, but I promise you that it has application for our life. Louis Burkhoff says this, that holiness of God denotes his absolutely distinct nature from all his creatures and that he is exalted above them in infinite majesty. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Louis Burkhoff says that the holiness of God denotes that he is absolutely distinct from all his creatures and is exalted above them in infinite majesty. God is better, greater, bigger than anything that we can find in creation. And and it's really important that we get this clear at the the front end. If if we get this mixed up, Everything about Christianity gets weird, and, and it devolves into some sort of alternate worship. God is different from us. There was one, um, one guy who would describe it, you know, you know Venn diagrams, and sometimes you see them in memes, and they're funny, and uh, he, he would draw creation. He would draw reality, and what he would draw was a, a huge circle over here, and then without any sort of overlap, a small circle. And the small circle, he'd write creation. And the big circle, he'd write God. And that is existence. God's big, we're small. God is not us, we are not God. We're distinct. That describes something about the holiness of God. But when we begin to see how, how God is infinite in his majesty how he's distinct from creation, we can begin to see why 
we ought to serve him, why we ought to worship him, and why we ought to tell other people about him. Amen? So, let's stand together as we read Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Oh, there we go. The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you at the beginning of this year to consecrate ourselves, to remind ourselves of your holiness that we might ourselves grow in personal holiness. But more than that, God, we pray, I pray that you would give us a vision and appreciation, Lord, that you would open up uh, a kernel, a view of your, your glory, your infinite majesty, your distinct, uh, separate nature from us that would really cause us to wonder, to see how awesome you are. And Lord, that, that would allow worship and praise and declarations of your faithfulness to, to come out of us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would exalt the name of Jesus Christ in this service. Exalt the name of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would crush the idols in our own souls, the things that we choose to worship that are created. God, meet us in your word, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. You did it. Thank you. We, we, we read, we made it. So you begin to see, I hope, as we read through Psalm 96, the reason I, I, I wanted to give that definition of, of holiness, his absolute distinctness from, cre uh, from all creation and, and how he is exalted in infinite majesty. Um, Psalm 96 gives us this idea that, that God is our creator, redeemer, king. 
And when we step back and look at what, what the psalmist is presenting to us, what I think he's telling us is that God is holy. God is infinitely majestic. God is absolutely distinct from creation. And, and specifically, I'm, I'm going to use the, the name Yahweh. We sang that name Yahweh, and that comes from the Old Testament when Moses was talking to God and, and God was giving him directives of how God was going to redeem the people of Israel and, and, and Moses was, was going to say, okay, but who do I tell the Israelites has sent me? And he says, tell them Yahweh has sent you. I am who I am. And it is this name that, that God associates with his covenantal promises. If, you, if you're not really in church a whole lot, the, the, the word covenant, it, it has to do with the promises that God makes with his people. The, this agreement that he makes with his people. It's more than just a, a, uh, it's more than just a contract because it's, it's a relational thing, but it involves promises of blessing and curses that, that God establishes. And, and the name that he signs on the dotted line, we could say, is Yahweh. And so Psalm 96 declares to us that Yahweh is holy. And he goes as he's de developing this idea, he has this pattern that repeats itself twice. I'll call it the, the worship, declare, reason pattern. Super easy to remember. I'm sorry, I didn't come up with a, an acronym. But it's the worship, declare, reason pattern. He wants us to see that when we consider the fact that, that Yahweh is our creator, that he's our redeemer, that he's our king, that we will offer him worship and declare his glory to others. When we, when we see who he is, the reason, then we will worship and we will declare. Look at the first section with me. It says in verses 1 through 6, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. In other words, praise his name. You know, how, how appropriate is it for us to open up the new year thinking of how we ought to sing to the Lord a new song. And he's not necessarily talking about, you know, let's write a new song, let's figure it out. But, but let, let the glory of God and, and what God has done bubble up into us so that a new song flows out of us. Sing to us a new song. Then he goes on and he says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord... Made the heavens and uh, made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. He opens by inviting us to sing a new song. You know, worship just comes out of the psalmist. It's on his lips. Um, and and so often, I don't know about you, but but worship is not what's coming out of my lips. I, I wish it was. Uh, if I, if I'm being honest, this is a place that that I I've been challenged in my own life. What's on my lips. What's on your lips? So often it's, it's complaining, it's fear, it's anger. It's so many other things besides worship. But here the psalmist so kindly reminds us that we, we have reason to worship. You know, one of the things I so appreciate about God is just how patient he is with me. Um, I don't know about you, but, but I am a knucklehead, and that is putting it nicely. And, and he doesn't come down and he say, guys, get it together. Figure it out. But he says, no, let, come on, let's sing a new song. Let's sing a new song to the Lord, to Yahweh. 
Worship the Lord. And it's important that he says the word Lord, and, and it's in all caps in my Bible and probably in yours, because it, that's that name Yahweh that I just spoke about. It's, it's the God who is. When, when God spoke to Moses and said, tell them I am has sent you, he wasn't just saying that God is, is the one who never changes. Right? That, that's fine. That's good. It's appropriate. It's the, theologically accurate. But the fact is, he doesn't change so when he makes a promise, he can't, he can't vacillate from that promise. When God says, I am the God who brings you out of slavery, who redeems you, there's no point at which he, he stops becoming the redemptive God. The fact that he is I am means he's I am for his people. If you need God to be for you, you can remember that his name is Yahweh. We're reminded that God is the redeemer. Right? We, we hear him saying that we're going to worship him because he is the Lord, the Redeemer. Are you having trouble worshiping? And, you know, in, in, in the worship service where you, or in the first part of the worship service, where you, you know, saying with your words things, but your heart wasn't necessarily following. I'm not saying that's bad. I think that's good. You know, in our culture, there's a whole lot of conversation about quote-unquote authenticity and that if I don't feel it, I shouldn't do it. And can I tell you, that's dumb. <laughs> um, sometimes you have to invite your feelings into what is true. Um, but maybe you were there and your feelings weren't there. And that's, that's a fine thing to, to acknowledge and, and confess. And I would ask, have you forgotten that your Redeemer lives? And I, I speak as one who's, who's forgotten that my Redeemer lives at times. Who needs to be reminded? Have you forgotten what God has done for you? There's that song that co has come out. It's a, the, the remix of Blessed Assurance. And my kids have heard it, some of it. But I want to I take them back to the original. and like, no, that's, It's nice. It's fine. It's good. But blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I, yeah, some of you, you've been there. I'll spare you the rest, but you can sing it in your head with me. Have you forgotten what God has done for you? Have your circumstances eclipsed your memories of God's goodness? I don't ask you that to shame you. I ask you that to bring it to present mind so that you can say, you know what? Yes, I need to remind myself. The psalmist invites us to remember, and then he quickly moves from worship to declaration. He goes... Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. We're worshiping God. We're ad addressing him. And then he says, tell of his salvation day to day. And sometimes we need to de declare that, and that declaration isn't necessarily with your, your employer or your, your coworker or your spouse. Sometimes that declaration is with yourself. And he says it in, the, in, in some of the other Psalms. Soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. He declares it to himself. Family, we have to take responsibility. I have to take responsibility for, for my own sense of, of God's presence and his power in my life. I have to remind myself. I have to remind myself. And he does. He declares. But he, he also declares it among the nations. He, he declares God's marvelous works among the peoples. You know what's really neat about young Christians as I meet them? They love to tell people about Jesus. Um, 
You know, they, they, may, they may be really sloppy. Uh, you know, they may still, you know, in, in their testimony, God is so blank awesome. And you're like, yes and no. I love the enthusiasm. We've got to tweak some of that testimony there. They don't, they don't lack zeal because they've tasted and seen that God is good. And just like when you, you eat a delicious pie that Miss Susan has made you, you testify to the goodness. You, you say, oh my goodness, this is good. You got to try this. Not too much though. The rest of it's for me. Um, but you got to try this. We testify. And I love that, that, that young Christians, they, they got their own fire and that's the way that we describe it. As we continue in our faith, our, our confidence can begin to wane, our convictions can get muddled. But someone who's recently experienced the power of God to save, watch them worship, watch them declare, mom, I have to, I have to tell you something, dad, I have, I have to tell you something, um, prof, I have to tell you something. God's changed my life, I, I, things have changed in my heart. Uber driver, I have to tell you something. The more that we're in touch with the fact that God has saved us, the more that we'll be moved from worship to declaration. And the psalmist isn't shy about it. He goes from declaring it among the nations and among the peoples. This invitation to worship God isn't relegated to the Israelites, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. It's not just, it's not just them. It's us. And, and unless you come from Jewish origins, you are among the peoples, and we can thank God for that. The world is invited, and we're invited. And why should we worship? Because God is great. He says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Uh, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. If we had just stopped at verse 3, you might be thinking, okay, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going I'm to manufacture, you know, Pastor Eddie said that the psalmist tells himself, he gives himself pep talks, and he says, okay, I'm going to worship the Lord. But he's not telling us that we need to manufacture enthusiasm. He wants to give us a strong reason for our worship and declaration. You know, he says that God is great. He's greater than all gods. In fact, all other gods are worthless idols, the psalmist says. And how does he defend that assertion? He says but that, that Yahweh is creator. Yahweh is creator. You know, in, in Isaiah, there's, there's another example of this. I want to read it to you. Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah is talking about the folly of idolatry. And he says, starting in verse 12, The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line, he, he marks it out with a pencil, he shapes it with planes and, and marks it with a compass, he shapes it into the figure of a man, with the beauty of a man to dwell in his house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, he plants a cedar and nourishes it, then it becomes fuel for the man. He takes part of it and warms himself, he kindles a fire and bakes bread. And he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before of it. Half of it he burns in the fire. 
Over the half he eats meat, he roasts and is satisfied, and he warms himself and says, Aha, I have, I'm warm, I've seen the fire. And the rest he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. And we, I think especially where we are, we, we read that and we think that's ridiculous. How could you take from one piece of wood some and use it as fire and the other and fashion it into something that I'm going to devote my life, my heart, my passions to. How, how could I do that? But, but don't we do that in so many different ways? You may not necessarily have physical idols at your house, but, but we worship people. We worship success. We worship money. We worship relationships. And we seek from these other things to provide the wholeness and the, the power and the strength and the healing that we desire. We devote our lives to created things when the true God offers real life for us. The psalmist reminds us that God alone is creator. Right? That piece of wood didn't create anything. It can't create anything. It's, it's impotent. It's, it's, it has no power. And, and if you've been around long enough, you understand that you also are incapable of doing a whole lot. Any parent knows, you know, once you get beyond the age where you can physically move your child without having a bit of a grappling match, that's where I'm at, kind of like the grappling times, um, your, your authority is really only as great as they allow it to be. And your control is nil. And yet, and yet we try to be gods and we try to worship created things. But he invites us to worship him because he is our creator and redeemer. He goes on in verses 7 through 13 and, and shifts from the idea of God being the creator and redeemer to him being the king. This, this psalm, it belongs to a group of psalms that, that are, are celebrating the kingship of God. Um, he is the Lord of glory and strength. It says, ascribe to the Lord, or in other words, uh, uh, give, give this attribute to the Lord. Recognize this attribute to the Lord. Uh, ascribe glory and strength. The glory do his name. Right? What does he mean when he say that, says that the name Yahweh is the name of the Redeemer? He has redeemed. He has overcome. How did he redeem? One of the greatest ways he expressed his redemption was separating the Red Sea, destroying the Egyptian army, destroying the nations that, that Moses and then, and, and then uh, Joshua would lead the people into the promised land. And he, God went before them and he expressed his great strength and his power. He defeated the enemies of the Israelites. And so we, we celebrate and ascribe glory to his name. We bring offerings. Again, we go from worship, and he goes and he talks about trembling, and then telling the nations that the Lord reigns. He, he is worthy of our praise because he is glorious. He says this in verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. 
You know, a lot of times when I think of Christianity and I think about people who come to church, there's, there's this picture of Jesus, I think, that many of us have that's it's very popular in culture where he has long, beautiful brown hair that's just perfectly brushed. I mean, just looks Pantene Pro-V perfect. And he, you know, he's got this delicate face and he just, he's just so beautiful. And I'm being somewhat facetious, but I can understand why someone who might come to church and think of that Jesus and hear these words, you know, his splendor and majesty, strength, glory might kind of scratch their head and just say, I don't, I don't, I can't really connect with that. I don't really get it. So I wanted to give you some pictures that the Bible gives um, of God's glory, of Yahweh's glory. In, in Isaiah chapter 6, it said in, in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And why does he say He's not just saying that he had a long robe. Kings of that time would take the, the flags of their enemies that they had conquered and, and, and attach it to their robe. So a, a courtroom filled with the train of his temple means he's, he's kind of a big deal. He has conquered. He is a conquering God. And there's these two beings, and I'll, I'll skip their, diff- their, their description, but it says that they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the, the house was filled with smoke. And how does Isaiah respond? But he doesn't say, oh, cool. He's neat. Look at him. No, he says, woe is me. He's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right now, and then bad things are going to happen, right? Dying will be the best part. I'm not sure what's coming afterwards, but it's going to be real bad. That's the God that we worship. In Revelation chapter 1, John, is, is, he has this, this revelation of, of God, of Jesus speaking to him. And he says, And starting in verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Have you ever looked at the sun? It's hard. I don't advise it. That may be the reason I need glasses. As a child, I looked at the sun, and it was was not good. And there's something about the glory of God that that John is trying to give us in, in symbolic language. You know, when you use symbolism... The thing that you're, you're describing is more vivid and greater than the symbol that you use. So that means that whatever kind of picture that you got from that, John's experience was even more dynamic than that. And he goes on in Revelation 19. And that same figure comes back on a horse. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. 
the one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems and many crowns. Again, he has been crowned many times. It's like the robe. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he, he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This, this book was not written so that we could have weird conversations about, you know, when Jesus is coming and what's the sign of the beast. And, 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 and man, this stuff is really... Uh, odd. This is intended to give us a picture of the awesomeness and the glory of God. Yahweh is king. And here's the thing about kings. There, there I don't know if there have been, but, but co-kingships, they don't work. If you've ever been in a co-leading role, you know that to be the case. Co-leading is just the worst, right? You're like, we're co-managing, I'm, you know, and then you have these, who's, who's in charge? Well, me. And then you're both saying it, and it's a problem, right? There's no co-kingship. We want to be king. We want to be in charge. We want to be autonomous. Um, the, the sinful attitude of our age says, I define my reality, and it's just another way of saying, I am king, but we are not king. You are not king. I hate to break it to you. The sooner that you figure that out, the better. I am not king. I, like, I'm, I'm so not king. And the sooner I figure out that, the better. God is king. And because of that, we worship. We worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We tremble before him. You know, he goes and he says, tremble before him all the earth. Sometimes it's good to fear things as we're, as we're coming to a close. Um, you know, my, my father-in-law lives out in Front Royal and, and he's got some land and He's got some wood piles, and there was one day where he was getting some wood, and there was a copperhead, or a few copperheads. Now, he dispatched them, so they are no longer with us, <laughs> but there was, there was a moment of trepidation there, an appropriate response of fear. You know, sometimes when you're faced with danger, it's appropriate just... <gasps> And let those adrenaline glands do what they're supposed to do. It's okay to fear at times. If you're peering over a cliff, you know, on Skyline Drive, a little fear is a good thing. You know, it's always interesting when you have your little kids and you take them to places like that because there is no fear. Because there's no real sense of, they haven't quite figured out the distinction between reality and them. And so they're like, well, that's it's fine. I'll be cool. And so they do things like, you know, and you're like, Billy, get off the ledge. And you're like, he's like, what? You know? And your hands begin to sweat and you, right? Fear is an appropriate thing when there's something to be feared. It can remind us of who we are, weak and mortal beings. And when we begin to see God as he's shown himself as strong, glorious, righteous, it should give us pause he is, he is our king. 
He goes on and he says, uh, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the, the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. What's, what's interesting is that humans are the only things in creation that struggle to worship God. Well, except for angels, but within the earth and all that. Beetles know that God is a king. The fields that I drove in and passed with all the poor cows that were out in the middle of the cold, they, they know that God is king. Your iced over, matted down crabgrass in your yard knows that God is king. And God will judge. The word says that he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in, 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 in faithfulness. He will uphold righteousness. In other words, he will uphold what is right. This is why Jesus came. He came to uphold what was right. Sometimes we, we want to have a lopsided gospel that's, well, Jesus came to, to, to save us. And yes, he came to save us. But the way that he does that is by upholding the righteousness of God. The way that he does that is by saying, I will experience the righteous wrath that is due to all of us. Right? The fury that, that we heard about in, in Revelation where he says he's going to tread out the fury of those who, who don't trust in him. That same fury was, was doled out to Jesus himself on the cross. God is righteous and holy and we are not. We are sinners and we disobey God and we worship idols. And if that offends you, I am sorry. That is true of me too. And that is our problem. But if we don't recognize our problem, we will never receive his solution. We need someone who will save us from the judgment to come. Jesus came to save us. He lived in obedience to God. He lived holy like his father. He came to be punished like we ought to be punished by death. And he rose from the dead and offers eternal life to anyone who trusts in him. Anyone who would join the chorus of worship and declaration because God is creator, redeemer, king. Family, as we, as we look on to 2024, I want you to hear this. Yahweh alone is holy. Yahweh alone is holy. You and I, apart from the work of Christ, we are not. Now, we're called saints. So there's good news ahead because saints are the holy ones of God. But you can't appreciate being a holy one of God if you've not appreciated the holiness of God. Have you received Yahweh as the creator, redeemer? Have you received him as your king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... What a, what a challenging topic to even discuss because there's so much in, in me that I know needs to come into greater alignment with who you are. And yet your word is clear that we are called to worship you, to declare your glory, to tell other people about how great you are because you are our creator 
because you are the one who redeems and because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, I pray that that would be the core truth that drives us this year. As we consider how we might relate to our friends and family, Lord, that we would remember that you are holy and that we need to reflect that holiness. As we consider how to do our jobs, that we would remember that you are holy. As we consider how to parent, we'd remember that you are holy. As we consider what it means to be single and to walk in integrity and that we'd know that you are holy. And that as we, as we lay in bed at nights with our thoughts, our desires, our disappointments, Lord, that we would remember that you are holy and that you love us. God, minister to this people, I pray. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to trust him today, would you raise your hand? Awesome. I see those hands. Once those hands, you can put it back down. I just want you to pray this with me. God, I know that you are holy and I am not. I am a sinful person who has broken your law, disobeyed you. And God, I pray that you would save me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that you rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death, and you offer eternal life to anyone who trusts in you. I trust in you today. Help me to live in light of that truth. Help me to trust you and, and submit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.